0: And so this morning, weirdly enough, we're talking about waiting for the impossible. So, what a great way to, to segue into this. Technically, when we're waiting on the Lord, um, we're waiting for the impossible. And, and some of you have never really thought about this, but um, whether you know it or not, when you're waiting on the Lord, um, you're waiting for what only God can do. You're waiting for what is only possible with God's divine power. Uh, you're waiting for what is impossible apart from the divine intervention of God. That's what's worth waiting for, and that's often what we are waiting for, is, is we're saying, Lord, no, nothing else can change this situation. Nothing else can move this forward. Nothing else can can restore my marriage. Nothing else can bring the finances we need to get a house. I'm waiting on you to do the impossible. And sometimes what what happens is, you end up waiting for the unexpected. You have one scenario in mind, where you're like I'm waiting for this to happen and it's going to look like this it's going to happen on this time frame they'll they'll be involved I'll be this old and we have this picture of what we're waiting for and then it happens and it looks not much like we anticipated it would we imagine we are waiting for something else when God actually ends up doing the heart of what we wanted in a different way and God ends up bringing something far better and so when you're waiting on the Lord and some of you are You've been waiting for seasons, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're confused, you're like, am I still going the right direction? Am I, am I, am I, am I, um, am I where you want me to be, Lord? Um, things don't seem to be moving at all. Um, you need to know this, Ephesians chapter three, this is who our God is. This is who our God is. Okay, we cut that in the beginning. Ephesians 3.20, this is what Paul says about um, our God. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think and so our ability to ask our ability to think is less than what god can actually do according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen when we're waiting on god praying desiring for things painting these scenarios that we imagine god could do what you can ask for, the, the limitations of your asking ability and the limitations of your imagination um, are far beneath what God can actually do. God can do and is able to do and often is willing to do far more than what we can ask or think because what he can do is according to his infinite power. Now, the context here is that God would essentially lead his people into the fullness of himself being to know the love of Christ. It it's it's a it's a quite the the feat to try and know the love of Christ on a purely human level. Meaning my brain on its own is not capable of understanding the depths of the riches of God's love for me. So there's a spiritual element that's required. I need spiritual insight. I need spiritual understanding. I need the the help of God's spirit. And so what God does is he enables people to know the love that they want to know. When you say, God, I wanna know your love. Well, God makes that possible by his own divine power. And it's especially helpful to know that God leads us into his fullness. He fills us with the fullness of himself that we might know his love. Now that's the context here, but the point still stands, the principle that what God can do and what you, what God is able to do in your life is according to his infinite power. And And my mind, can't conceive of his infinite power. I don't know how to ask according to his infinite power. I can't imagine what his infinite power looks like because it's infinite, it's endless. It goes on and on and on and there's no cap. So even when you ask or believe or wait for God to do something and you paint the scenario in mind of what it's gonna look like, often that is still less than what God actually can do and what he intends to do in your life. Some of you guys get super discouraged waiting on God. I know, I know I do. We get super discouraged waiting on the Lord. And you go for so long without seeing any progress, without seeing any kind of results, that you eventually just go, you know what? Maybe you kind of pull an Abraham and Sarah, and you settle for what you can do instead of waiting for what only God can. And you settle for what other people in your life can do for you. Instead of looking to God, you start turning to people. And you go, well, maybe... I'm supposed to start doing stuff and you start getting people involved and you start reasoning on a purely human level and you stop evaluating things through the lens of scripture and you stop trusting that God can do the impossible and you settle for what only man can do, which is a cheap counterfeit of what God intends to do. So people settle for cheap counterfeits all the time. It's a lesser version of what God intends to do, but we we get, you know, complacent or we get tired of waiting and we get confused and discouraged and we move on to and we just go, you know what, I'm just gonna get men involved. I'm gonna do this myself. Just like Abraham and Sarah, we're waiting for a son, nothing's happening. So let's try and make this happen on our own. Let's try and get Hagar, the Egyptian servant involved and maybe she'll produce a, a child for Abraham. That's not what God intended, but they settled for what they could produce by their own hands instead of waiting for what only God could do by his. And so my encouragement moving forward is this. Don't, don't settle for what your own hands can produce without God's favor on it. This doesn't mean I'll never have a, a part to play in God doing things in my life. I, I do have a, a role to play. And I say this all the time. We have a responsibility. I participate with God in his plans, in what he's doing in my life and in the world. I participate. I have a role. But don't settle for what only you can do. Because if you do, often God's favor isn't on that. It's just to go, I'm gonna do this myself. I'm gonna forget what God's word says. I'm just gonna go against what I know his character is. I'm gonna compromise my values in the process, and I'm just gonna move forward without really acknowledging him in all my ways. Don't do that. Because to achieve results, or to get something without God's favor on it, it's gonna be more of a burden to you than a gift. And so my encouragement moving forward is, is know that God will include people in his plans. Some people in your life, in your church, in your community, in your family, they'll play a role in like being a part of what God wants to do in your life. They'll play a role in that. But don't settle for what only people can do and look to people and hope in people and trust in people when when God wants to do something in your life that frankly, no man can claim credit for. Don't trust in your plans. Don't trust in your ability. Don't trust in your efforts and your gifts and your resources and your experience, these aren't reasons that you're successful. These things aren't reasons that you'll see good results. They're a part of what God does in your life, but they're not the ultimate reason why you see things happen. These aren't good reasons for confidence. My ability, my hope, my resources, my, my connections, my ability to know people and, and, and manipulate and strategize, that's not something I should hope in. Rather, God in his limitless power God and his infinite divine ability. That's the source of my confidence. And that's something that, frankly, even when I do play a role in what God is doing and people are part of it, I can't take credit and no one else can because we know God did what I didn't even know to ask for or know to imagine. And so just know that your imagination has some very strong limitations. And we hold God hostage to the scenario of I'm waiting for this and it's gonna look like this and it'll happen here, and happen this time, and I'll be this old, and we paint this scenario when what we're waiting for is actually less than what God intends to do. Or maybe some of it is true, but a lot of it needs to be fleshed out and realigned with his actual will. So just know that what you think you're waiting for isn't always what God intends to actually do. So, moving forward, when we're talking about waiting for the impossible, um, just a few questions to ask. Do you know the difference If you think about it, do you know the difference between waiting for man versus waiting for God? Do you know how to discern if you're doing either of those? Do you know how to recognize in your own life, hey, am I looking and trusting and hoping in people or am I looking to and trusting in God, knowing that he'll involve people, but ultimately they're not my source of confidence. Do you know how to discern that? Are you able to discern when you're waiting on what only man can do versus what only God can do? And so hopefully by the end of this, you'll know how to discern in your own life because I don't just want to give you like, here's how to recognize, here's how, to... I want you to be able to for the rest of your life know when you start to gravitate toward trusting in man instead of God, when you start to allow people and their money and their you know, abilities and their experience, when you let that trump uh, God uh, to help you recognize when you start to trust in men instead of God, I, I want to help you do that. So. Um, some of you don't know it, and I, I'm in the same boat, man. We don't often recognize when we're, tr- when we're trusting more in people than God. And when we start to like let people rise above God in our list of priorities, and then somehow he's beneath them, and he takes less of a priority, we, we, don't, even, we don't often know when we're doing that. And so, some of you are trusting in people but you're calling, you're calling it waiting on the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm waiting on God, but you're, you're trusting in all your connections. You're trusting in all the backup plans you've made. You're trusting in the people you know who can get you out of this problem if things go wrong. You're trusting in what really um, people can do for you or what you can do for yourself instead of going, Lord, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna trust that what you have in mind for me, my family, my wife, whatever it is, what you have in mind Is frankly impossible for any person to do no one else can do it except you I'm waiting for that I'm not gonna settle for a lesser version of what you have for me and so my first point of encouragement is this and I've said it over and over but I'm gonna back it with scripture now okay there's a lot of scriptures that speak to this don't make men or women, or just mankind, your ultimate trust. Wait for God instead of people. Because trust me, God's help is better than man's. Uh, sometimes, let me paint a scenario. Sometimes, when you wait on the Lord, sometimes there will be this temptation to start um, moving things forward on your own. And the enemy will sneak in, kind of like, you know, think of Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve are like, we can't eat from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent goes, ah, maybe you can. In fact, God knows that you'll be like him if you eat it. So you can either take this into your own hands or wait for God to do something or maybe never eat from the tree and maybe never have the knowledge he has and or you can just take it for yourself. And so that temptation gets to Eve, right? She ends up taking and seizing. Uh, what well, we don't know if God would have ever given them, which is knowledge the way he has it, they end up not knowing good and evil the way he does, they know it in a different way. And so there is always a temptation as you're waiting on God to go, you know what? Maybe I can make this happen myself. Maybe I've just been waiting and I've been doing everything he's told me to and I've been faithful and I've been obedient and I've been going to church and I've been you know, been faithful to my wife and I still don't think, see things moving forward or things advancing at all. I don't see any progress. I don't see any change in this situation. So what I'm gonna do I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to start planning and strategizing and collecting my resources and making phone calls and see who can help me make this happen. And you start becoming like the people of Babel, where you start building your own empire and your own tower to to God instead of trusting that he actually intends to come down to you. And there's one way to get to him and it's through the sun. Instead, you try and make your own way. That's what happens the longer you wait on God, is you, you start to imagine these scenarios of what you could do if you just... You know, maybe I'll stop going to church, or maybe I'll stop giving, or maybe I'll stop being faithful to God, and I can compromise my values, but at least I'll see progress in my life when it comes to this habit or this situation or these finances, and I can make things happen the way that I want instead of waiting on God and being faithful. And there's always that temptation to go, hey, you can do something faster and better than God. And that's frankly not true. That's not true. Psalm 18, 118, verse eight through nine tells us that whatever men can do in all their collective wisdom and resources and ability and strength, all of mankind pulled together, everything they can do and have still can't touch the bottom of what God is capable of doing. It doesn't come anywhere near it. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I know some of you have relied on people your whole life. Like, people have been your way out of things. People have been your backup plan. People have been, you know, the ones there who you could fall back on when you get yourself into a financial crisis. People have been there for when you have a bad interaction with someone and you can gossip to them and they'll, they'll reinforce your heart and go, yeah, they're wrong. You've trusted in people for so long. You've hoped in people for so long that taking refuge in God is a foreign idea. It doesn't, It doesn't compute for you because your whole life you've spent scheming, You've spent strategizing, you've just trusted in the people who got your back and not in the Lord who has your breath. Take refuge in the Lord. It's so much better than trusting in man. This doesn't mean there should never be any degree of trust or confidence that I put in anyone in my life, but ultimately the greatest degree of trust and hope and confidence I have is going to be in him. No one's going to have more confidence, more of my confidence than God. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust even in princes. You think about the the the, the power, the resources, the riches, the access, the authority that royalty has. And the psalmist is saying, all, all the authority and power and riches they have still can't do what God can. So don't settle, you know, for making those phone calls and and, and and scheming your way up the ladder to get to those people who you're like, they can make a way. Don't do that. Trust in Him. Don't compromise your values. Be faithful. Be obedient. Keep doing what He's told you to do instead of settling for the most powerful, richest people on the planet to come through for you. They can't do what God can. I promise you that. Psalm 146, verse 3 through 7, it says, Put not your trust in princes. Same idea. Or in a son of man. In people. In fallible, finite you know, um, wicked people at times don't trust in people. People will fail you. People are unreliable. People aren't as faithful as God is. People don't have the wisdom and the knowledge and and the power that our God does in whom there's no salvation There, there. Apart from Jesus, there's no salvation. No, you can collect all of humanity all across time together. No one's getting to God unless he first comes to us. No one's gonna achieve a spiritual salvation by which our sin is paid for, by which our death is taken. No one's doing that except Jesus who comes from heaven and is the strong arm of God to make a way for salvation. So don't trust in man. When his breath departs, which by the way, everyone who you look to, everyone you trust in, everyone you know will come through for you and they're your backup plan, their breath eventually is gonna leave their body. They're gonna return to the earth. On that very day, the plans of even the greatest princes, they perish with that breath. Every one of us relies on God for breath. It's an equal playing field. We all equally rely on God to hold us together, to sustain our life, and to give us breath in our lungs. And somehow we forget that when we look at someone who has a certain amount of money or power or influence or experience or or whatever education and we go, oh. And we forget they're equally dependent on God as we are. That God equally supplies them breath as much as he does us. They're equally as lost without Jesus as we are. They need Jesus just as much as we are. So the, the, the playing field really is leveled. No one is more uh likely to be saved or likely no one can accomplish salvation except Jesus blessed is he whose help is the god of jacob whose hope is the, in the lord he's god so you choose who you look to for help you choose who you hope in that's your choice the problem becomes when you trust or hope in someone who is no help at all you end up being disappointed you end up falling with them. The plans they make, because they can only go so far, they can only bring you so far. You know who our hope is? It's God. You know who can help me in a way that no one else can? God. This doesn't mean be a hermit and isolate yourself and never rely on people. That's not what I'm trying to get you to, to, to think. I'm trying to make you really evaluate where in your life you've replaced the help of God with people. You've replaced trusting in God with trusting in people. There is a healthy way to go, Lord, you are my ultimate trust, my ultimate confidence. I'm waiting on you and I'm okay with you using people in my life. Help me to recognize which people in my life you're going to use in what ways and, and how much degree of trust I should put in them. And without you know looking away from you, help me to, to know when you're bringing help through people. Instead of going, people are my help instead of you, Lord, because I tried religion. I tried church. I tried Jesus. So I'm just going to run to man-made you know, philosophy and stuff. Who made heaven and earth? Has anyone made heaven and earth besides the Lord? No. Has anyone made the sea besides the Lord? No. And everything in them? Only the Lord does that. Who else keeps faith forever except the Lord? The answer is nobody. Everyone you trust and who has built up rapport with you, who you have, you're like, they are so reliable. Eventually, people are prone to fail. People are going to mess up. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to uh, abuse your trust, whether knowingly or unknowingly, it's going to happen. And this doesn't mean have no friends. This means be careful about who you let into your inner circle. This means be careful about who you look to for a, for a sense of direction, for a sense of help. He executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. This is our God. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. This is who our God is. So when you are waiting on the Lord, the temptation is always to transition all of that hope and trust and confidence you put in God and take it all and put it back into yourself or into people. And I'm telling you, don't fall for it. It's deceptive. It might look like it's going to work. It might look like, look at their track record, though. Look how much success they've had. You know, the king of Assyria comes to Jerusalem, comes to King Hezekiah and goes, Hezekiah, stop trusting in God. I'm going to destroy this city. Stop putting up walls. Stop trusting in your army. Stop trusting in God. And he goes, look at all the nations I have decimated. Look at their gods. Where did their gods end up? Where'd these nations end up who trusted in their gods? And he goes, Hezekiah, your god's no different. Look at my track record. Look at my experience. I'm telling you, I'm going to destroy you and this city if you don't give it up. You know what happens? With all the experience and the track record that king has, he ends up being the one who's killed on the way home. And the Lord takes him down for cursing God. So track record experience, these are factors in terms of uh, who I should, um, you know, who I should be likely to, to look to for whatever it is. Like, uh, who should I trust to teach me about finances? Probably not the guy who's homeless. Who should I look to for, for um, to, to, to guide me in my theology? Well, probably not the guy who's like universalist, and he's like, the universe is one, man. I, I, I should be careful about who I look to for certain things, but ultimately, my trust is in God. So the track record of people is not the ultimate factor in my decision-making process where I go, well, they've never failed. So instead of looking to God, I'm gonna trust in Harry over here who's 23 and has you know, seven years of college experience because you know he seems to have a track record and the education to back it. When you replace God with people, you're in for a world of hurt. Jeremiah 17:5 says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Why? Because that strength is limited. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. So we're not talking about people who are looking to God while like, you know, leaning on the people that God provides. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those of you who at certain times in your life, you just turn away completely from God because men offer you an, an opportunity um, a, a scenario, an amount of resources where you're like, hey, maybe I don't need to wait on God because look at what people are offering me. And sometimes it is God like providing or answering your prayers through people. But when you turn away from him completely to even what he's providing, you, you, that's gonna be more of a snare than a blessing. And Israel is the, really the, the case study of that. Israel gets genuine blessings from God that are from his hand. Instead of keeping their eyes on him, they turn away from him with it. And they go, yeah, we have what we need. We don't need you anymore, God. We're going to go and commit sexual immorality and worship any God that comes our way. And God goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. My blessings without my favor aren't sustainable. It's not sustainable. It's not enjoyable. So... You either turn to me or these things will become a snare to you and those things you're trusting and the people you're running to are going to be a snare to you. And we're going to see that in Isaiah chapter 30, actually. Israel does this same thing. They turn away from God. So what we're talking about when we say trusting in people is instead of committing my way to God, I abandon God, stop doing what he said. I disobey his commands. I compromise my values in order to trust in what people are offering me or what they say they can make happen, or the progress that they say they can bring me into. Isaiah chapter 30, verse one through five, listen to this. This is like a perfect example of what I mean. It says, ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but it's not mine. You ever been there? You made plans? And you realized ah, that wasn't the Lord. That wasn't the Lord. That was my own selfish ambition. That was my own impatience. Who makes an alliance, but not with my spirit. You ever made an alliance that God didn't guide you into? That they may add sin to sin? They set out to go down to Egypt. So here's where their alliance is. They're looking to Egypt and the strength that's found in their numbers in their army and chariots without asking for my direction do you see the problem to take refuge in the protection of pharaoh so here we have a scenario they're seeking shelter in the shadow of egypt so here we have israel going yeah there's some wicked kings coming our way we don't have the army to do anything you know who does pharaoh that's right boy let's go down to egypt We'll trust in their chariots, they got numbers, they got the army, they got the power. Pharaoh's pretty strong. Let's take refuge in and seek shelter in his shadow. Instead of turning back to the Lord and committing their ways to him by following his laws, they continue in disobedience, continue in sin, continue doing what God said not to do, and along the way they think they'll find safety and shelter from the consequences of their own sin in Egypt. The problem is they're bringing their issues and their consequences with them into Egypt. So now they're dragging Pharaoh into this. So it's not that Pharaoh's gonna be uh, the cure to their plague, it's that they're actually bringing their plague into Egypt and now they're getting Pharaoh involved. That's what happens when you and I are running from the consequences of our own dis- bad decisions. And, we're, and you can fix it by just going, Lord, you know what? I will commit my way to you. I will start doing what you say in your word. I will start obeying your, your spirit. I will start doing what you've called me to. Instead of doing that, we run to people and we go, ah, you know, maybe I can fix this. I'm making an alliance with, you know, someone who can get me out of this mess. You're not addressing the real core of the issue, which is that you got yourself into that mess and you're making it a bigger mess for other people, and instead of them being a solution to it, you're just making other people's lives harder. That's what Israel's doing to Egypt and Pharaoh. And God's going, you didn't ask me for direction. You're making plans that are not mine. Whenever you find yourself waiting on God, and a plan comes to mind, and you see a way out, or you see a way forward, or you see a way to fix the situation in your mind's eye, my encouragement to you is don't assume that's from God. The worst thing you can do is assume a thought, an idea, a plan is from God without ever truly consulting him to make sure. You know, assumptions are not good. You have to discern through that thought. You have to discern through that plan. Just because you see a way out doesn't mean God wants you to take it. Just because you, you have an opportunity to come into way more financial relief and you can pay all your bills and all the debt that's, that's, that's accumulated and you're like, I found my way out and I can leave my job. Don't assume that's from God. Something that looks good and something that seems good doesn't mean it actually is. And that's what Israel's doing. They've calculated. They've ran the numbers. You know, on paper, Egypt's a, a safe shadow to run to but they didn't consult the Lord. They continued in sin while making plans. And when you make plans while you're living in sin, you're most likely gonna hurt yourself. Those plans are gonna be a snare to you and not a help. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame. So what they thought they were getting was what? Protection. In the end, because they continued farther and farther from God, I mean, physically, they're going away from him to Egypt it's gonna be their shame. And the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, what they thought was gonna be a shelter to them is gonna be their humiliation. This is what we do. We assume something's gonna provide protection and shelter us, when it actually becomes something we're ashamed of and humiliated by. Like, why did I take that opportunity? Why did I send that email? Why did I think they would help me? When I know their track record of sin and, and the way they cheat people, why did I trust in them? Why did I think I could get myself out of this when I've been saying that for years and I haven't looked to the Lord, I haven't consulted him, and I keep trying in my own efforts? Of course you're gonna be ashamed of what only you can produce. If God's not in it and his favor's not on it, of course it's gonna be more of a detriment to you. Even though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanes, like the underwear, everyone comes to shame though a people that cannot pro- through a people that can't profit them. Sometimes we think people can add to our life when in fact, by the end of our interaction with them, we look back and go, oh, that was more of a subtraction because I didn't actually consult God in that interaction. I didn't go, Lord, is this a person you're calling me to? For, for example, when, when I have an, an opportunity to, to bring my family into more financial stability, I don't automatically go and answer to my prayers. What I do is I go, Lord, is this of you? because I know the enemy and my own flesh and the world has a, has a knack for deceiving me and subtly tricking me into thinking it's of you when it's not. And then if I get it and I have it, it's gonna hurt me more than it blesses me. So Lord, I just wanna know, like, clearly, is this from you? That's all I'm asking. Is this from you? If it's not, I don't want it. Even if it could give me what I've been waiting for, if it's not your way, I don't want it. If I'm gonna get what I want, around your plans and without your ways and without your spirit, I don't want it. I don't want it. And so please clarify to me if this is of you. If it is, I trust you'll make it clear. The problem is we assume people, situations, opportunities will add and will profit us when in fact, when you get in there without consulting God, you find that it subtracts. You're ashamed that you got into that. It brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. So my encouragement to you as you navigate life, uh, don't dismiss the help of people. That's not what I'm trying to get you to do. I'm I'm not encouraging you to be a lone wolf. It's not the intent of this. My encouragement to you is trust in God ultimately, but utilize the resources he sends through people and the opportunities he sends through people, but pray, discern, don't assume. Like, consult him first. Israel, if they would have consulted God and said, You know what? I think these nations are coming against us because we're living in sin. Duh. Let's turn back to God. Then they would have realized running to Egypt's a bad idea because the refuge God is to us is far better than Egypt. And so if we're running from him, why would we expect safety and security when he's our only strong tower? So my encouragement is wait for God don't settle don't settle for what you or anyone else can do for you apart from god's will apart from his word apart from his spirit if there's any opportunity you have to compromise your values to decrease your your time with the lord or to take you away from what you know god's called you to don't do it my second encouragement is wait for god as you make plans i'm not against planning James already dropped this in the chat, but Proverbs chapter three, he's getting ahead of me. He probably read my notes. He probably hacked my computer. Proverbs three, it says, trust in the Lord. To do that effectively means it is with all your heart. There is no other backup plan. There is no other savior. There is no other means of righteousness. There is no other way into the kingdom. It's Jesus alone. Secondly, underneath that, as a child of God, when it comes to decision making and and navigating life, I look to God ultimately. With all that I am, I just want to please Him. I just want to be where He wants me to be. I just want to honor Him. Don't lean on your own understanding. This doesn't mean that your understanding is always completely flawed. Sometimes I understand things the way God wants me to, and I see things according to His will. And I actually do see things as it fits into his will for my life. Other times, and this is my encouragement to you, don't assume your understanding is correct. Bring that understanding, bring that plan, bring that opportunity to God and say, Lord, this looks real good. I'm not going to lie, this seems real nice. I've been praying for a spouse and she seems to fit the bill and more. But I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to bring this to you and acknowledge you in all my ways. The problem is we as believers, um, we have a knack for leaning on God only in certain scenarios, only for certain things, or only once we've reached the end of ourselves, then we'll lean on him. It doesn't say trust in God and lean on him. Once you've tried everything. It doesn't say trust in God and acknowledge him once you've reached out to all your connections and exhausted all your resources. It says, trust in him, period. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Is that a promise? Sure, sounds like it. It sounds like God won't let you fumble the ball if you just keep tight, you know, holding tight to him. Acknowledge him. Go, Lord, I... In this decision, I was about to move forward, but I'm pausing because I noticed that I wasn't aware of your presence or your involvement in this. I didn't even consider what your word says, so I'm acknowledging you. I'm filtering this decision through what your word says. I'm considering who you are. I'm considering what you're doing in my life, and I'm just asking, would you make my path straight? Either lead me through this or lead me away from this. And guess what? God's not going to go, I'm going to mess with this fella. He thinks I'm gonna make his path straight. What a bozo. No, he's gonna make your path straight like he promised. I, that's what God does. He goes, I love to make the path straight of those who acknowledge me, of those who trust in me and don't lean on their own understanding. Adam and Eve, case study for this. They did lean on their own understanding. They wanted knowledge. They wanted the, the, to be like God, apart from God. They trusted in their own understanding, the, at least the understanding the enemy presented them. And they leaned on that instead of going, Instead of running to God and going, Lord, this weird preacher came up to us and said this and this and this. Is this true? If it's true, can we have, it? instead of bringing it to him, they seized the forbidden fruit themselves. There's a daily decision to consult God in every decision, where you go, how you're gonna interact with the spouse, if you're gonna even send the email, if you should word it correctly, if you should even be in the job you're at right now, because you have other opportunities or maybe God's asking you in faith to leave and move on because he has something better, in all of your ways, in the way you discipline and correct and train your children, in the way you're actually like uh, thinking about building a house or even pursuing a house purchase, are you acknowledging what he wants? And it's not just a fly by like, what do you want? Okay, I tried, he didn't answer me. (laughs) No, you seek him until there's clarity or you move forward having consulted him and trust that he'll either close the door or leave it open. Don't be wise in your own eyes. It's the dumbest thing you can do. That's the dumbest thing I can do, is to think I'm wise, my own estimation of myself as if that's correct, to think I'm so wise, I won't make a mistake, I'm reliable, every decision I make is correct. Stupid. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord and turn from evil. Turn from evil. Sometimes the opportunity you're presented or the scenario you've painted and the and you're like, I can do this. It's actually evil God's calling you to turn away from. And instead to fear him and trust him and wait on him knowing that he can do more than what your own hands can do. It's the whole, you know, the picture of like the, the little girl who's holding a tiny teddy bear. And then Jesus, however they paint him, is like, Just give it to me, okay? And then behind his back, he has a bigger bear. Huge bear. She could sleep on it, and she's holding this tiny thing. That's like us. We're just, I don't know, Lord. This is such a good opportunity. Like, I've been waiting for her my whole life. I've been waiting for this for so long. My, My wife and I have been longing for this. We finally have a chance, and we're holding on to this tiny bear, and God's going, would you just bring that to me? and fear me, and acknowledge me, and trust me, and then he has something so much better behind his back. There are so many times I've had to say no to what looked really good, to what looked like an answer to prayer. And it was gut-wrenching in the moment, for sure. Like, it sucked. It's not easy. I'm not painting this as some easy thing. This is throughout your life. You're going to have to give up what looks like an answer to prayer or what looks good. But it's, it's based in men. It's based in what people can do. It's based in limited human understanding and reasoning and it's not from God. It's hard. It's really hard. Because when you say, I'm gonna trust in the Lord, that means when a good opportunity or person or situation comes where you're like, this is it. Yes! And then God goes, no you're gonna to have to trust he knows best and you don't. That's hard. That's really hard. Proverbs 16, verse nine. It says, hey look, the heart of man plans his way. Is that true? Does God give you permission to make plans? Absolutely. God is not anti-planning. He's not anti-strategy. He's not anti, like, thoughtful, critical thinking and weighing things and putting things on a whiteboard and going crazy. He's not anti-vision board. He's not anti-plans. He's anti-plans without him. I make plans in my head. I do. Lots of plans. Sometimes they end up on a whiteboard. Sometimes they end up on my computer. Sometimes they, they just get thrown into the trash. But when I make a plan, I don't go, ah, I automatically assume this is what God wants. What I do is I go, what a great plan. I mean, hello, I just just made this. I go, Lord, this this is a plan, okay? I feel like I could move forward here and we can move there. And if this happens and they can get involved, I'm bringing my plan to you, okay? I made a plan. But it's the Lord who establishes his steps. Again, God is not against you making plans. He's against you making plans without him and not letting him establish your steps. Some of you are so afraid to bring God your plans because frankly, you don't want anything else than what you've planned. You're afraid he'll say no. You're absolutely terrified because you think this is the best case scenario. This couldn't be better. They're involved, this will happen, like this is gonna touch my family. There's no way there's a better plan and you're afraid to bring it to him because frankly, deep down, you know it's not what he wants. And you, you, part of you doesn't care. Part of you doesn't care because it's what you want. It's what you've been praying for for years. It's what you've been believing for, except it's a cheap counterfeit of what God actually wants to do. And you're okay with that. You know that. And you're still like, even though I know this isn't the woman for me, like, oh man, God, I'm going to pursue it. Even though I know this is not the right opportunity. Oh man, it's what I want. And you're not, you don't want to bring it to him because you know he'll say no. Deep down, you know it's not what he wants. You don't want him to establish your steps. You want to establish your steps. You want to make it happen. And this is the problem. When you go to Philippians chapter four, and it says, don't be anxious about anything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will sweep over you, right? That's the promise. The peace of God, which goes beyond understanding. I don't even know how I have this peace. It will guard your heart and your mind. That peace is promised to those who can let go of their plans. This is not just saying, God, I have this request. I have this plan. I'm gonna make it happen whether you say no or not, but I'm just letting you know. That's not prayer. That's not biblical surrender. Surrender means even if you don't want it to happen, Even if you do, I just want what you want. This is Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he goes through with it anyway. Yet not my will, but your will. Did Jesus have a human will there? Absolutely. Do we have our own plans that we make? Absolutely. Can you lay them down at the feet of Jesus? Are you okay with him saying no? Do you trust that he has something better and he's potentially rescuing you from something that would hurt you? You can make plans. The scripture is giving you permission to make plans, but let your request and let your plans and let your ways be brought before the king and say, hey, would you co-sign this? And if this is not from you, just toss it in the fire. I don't want anything to do with it if you're not in it. Some of you don't care if God's in it, like you don't, it's not a concern to you. It doesn't bother you that God's favor's not on it, it doesn't bother you that God says no, it doesn't bother you that it, it goes against his ways and his will, you just want what you want and you're gonna run headstrong into that wall and get it. And I'm telling you, even when you get it, even when you have it, even if there's some initial joy that comes attached to it or some sense of temporary happiness, in the end, you're gonna wish you had let it go. In 1 Samuel 14, we see a good example of someone who makes a plan, but he lets God direct his steps. I love this, this is such a good example. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul said to his young man who carried his armor, hey, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side, and this is not to have a tea party. This is not to watch Netflix. This is actually to, to kill the Philistines. They're in war, but he didn't tell his father because Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. In other words, he's kind of hiding in shame. And the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, and all these people, okay? And then we have Jonathan in verse six says to the young men, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Jonathan made a plan. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to actually make something happen. He's tired of sitting around. He wants to see some Philistines go down. He wants to bring this war to an end. He wants to see some victory. So he's decided, hey, even if no one else comes, armor bearer, I know you don't have a name. You want to come with me? It might be, it may be, the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So you know what Jonathan says? But well, here's what Jonathan doesn't say. God's gonna save us and give us victory. He doesn't say that. Jonathan doesn't know what God will do, okay? Jonathan knows what God can do. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. That's what, de- that's what Jonathan knows about the Lord, okay? So this desire, this plan he makes is rooted in an understanding Our God can do anything. Nothing can stop him from saving. If he uses a few, or if he uses many, he doesn't need any amount. He just needs to be in it. That's what Jonathan knows. Now he has a plan. Jonathan goes, okay, because I know that, I wanna go over and slay some Philistine enemies. I really wanna make some things happen because I know what God can do. He's just not sure if God will. Okay, what God can do is certain. What God will do, he's not so sure. And this is some of you. You're like, I know what God can do. I'm just not sure if he will. That's okay. That's a, that's a, that's a safe place to be. That's what, You're fine being there, okay? It's not an ungodly, unrighteous place to be. That's okay. It may be the Lord will work for us. So what do you do when you know what God can do but you're not sure if he will in this situation, or you're not sure if he's with you in this plan. What do you do? What do you do? Well, Proverbs 3 says, don't lean on your own understanding. Wait, trust in all your ways, acknowledge him. Let him make your path straight. Plan away, trust that God will establish your steps. Bring your request to him. Ask for his will to be done. Once you've done that, and his armor bearer said, do all that's in your heart. So this plan was in the heart of Jonathan, just like Proverbs 16. The heart of a man plans his way, makes his plans. Do as you wish. I'm with you, heart and soul. We don't know if God is, but I'm with you. That's a committed armor bearer. Or he's just afraid of Jonathan turning and I, I don't know how that works. Then Jonathan said, hey, here's what we'll do. Okay, so we know what Jonathan wants to do. We know what God can do but we don't know what God will do. In between the plan and what God can do, there's a maybe, right? In between what Jonathan wants to do and what God can do, there's a maybe. There's not a certainty there. So how does Jonathan bridge that gap? He goes, hey, we're gonna cross over to them and we will show ourselves to them. (laughs) That's some risky business, man. You're just gonna walk up to the enemy and his walk into enemy territory and be like, what's up? I'm the king's son, and then let God go to work? Now look, if they say to us, if the Philistines say, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand there. We will not go up to them, right? <laughs> That's how we know the Lord is not in this. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. There's a way to biblically ask for signs, and there's a way to unbiblically, like the self-righteous, prideful, religious leaders of Jesus' day go, we demand a sign. Show us that you are who you say you are. And they're just ignoring all the other things he's done, and it's never enough, okay? There's a way to biblically ask for guidance in the form of a sign. And I and I've used this in my own life. I've adapted this for my personal walk. And I encourage you to do the same. However the Lord calls you to. Jonathan goes, "I don't I know what God can do and I know what I want to do. I just don't know if he wants us to. Okay? I don't know I don't know if he's in this." So, what we're going to do is we're going to figure that out. How? By sitting around and praying? Not in this scenario. Maybe sometimes that's a good way to go, but in this scenario, Jonathan's gonna make steps forward. He's gonna make steps forward. He's gonna start moving towards what he believes God can do. He's not sure if he will. So he's gonna find out if God will by going headstrong into the situation, but acknowledging God. He acknowledges God. This is not Jonathan going going all wonky and being like, you know what? Forget God, let's go slay some Philistines. This is Jonathan going, God can. Let's move forward. If Philistines say, stay there, God's not with us, okay? If the Philistines say, come up, then we'll let the Lord use that as a sign to us to go up that he's given them into our hands. Now, did God say that's the sign that he would use? That doesn't record that, it doesn't record that. Jonathan kind of, trust, you know, trusting in God, having faith in his ways, he kind of makes a sign and goes, Lord, It seems like Jonathan's trusting God will use his own decided sign uh, as evidence of whether God's with him or not. So Jonathan's kind of the one who made the conditions here and goes, if if he's with us, they'll say this. If he's not, they'll say this. And then they end up getting there. And the Hebrews, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they get there and the Philistines say, come up to us. Jonathan says, let's go the Lord's given them into the hand of Israel. And they end up destroying some people there, killing some people, and Saul sees the, the chaos ensuing and so goes, where's Jonathan, oh, that boy? Okay, so what we have here is a good example of someone who seems to have trusted the Lord in their ways. He didn't lean on his strength. This is, this is, this is evidence, number one, that I don't think Jonathan trusted in his own ways because he says God can work with few or by many. So Jonathan's not going, "Hey, you know, we have the battle experience. We've seen victory. We're going to see some the same thing today." He goes, "I know what God can do. He doesn't need a lot. He doesn't need a little. He can use whatever he wants to accomplish whatever he desires." Okay? And the armor-bearer goes, "Yeah, do all that's in your heart. Everyone's just coming in the studio today." And if they say to us, so Jonathan makes the conditions for whether or not God would guide him within and without that. This is what I want to encourage you with. When you make plans and you're not sure whether God is in it or not, like it's okay to to pull a Jonathan sometimes and trust that almost the conditions you make. go, Lord, if you're in this, I'm really trying to navigate this and know whether you're you're with me. I just want to know if you're with me. Okay. I don't care if it's good or bad. I just want what you want. Whether it happens or not, not really a concern. I just want what you want. When that happens, it's okay to pull a Jonathan and go, Lord, if you would work through this sign, that would help give me clarity. And if you don't, then I won't move forward. But Jonathan moves forward and lets God clarify through his faithfulness. Jonathan doesn't sit back and go, God will make it clear. When he does, then we'll move forward. In other words, direction and confirmation don't come before an act. In this case, at least, okay, the confirmation comes through Jonathan's decision to move forward. So Jonathan gets there, then the confirmation comes as to whether God is in it or not. And God confirms, I'm with you. The Philistines say what Jonathan thought he would, they would, and they move forward and he goes, God's with us, God's with us. So in, in, in all scenarios and decisions you're, you're going to make, the, the encouragement stays the same. It's consistent across the field just acknowledge God in all your ways. What that looks like, how that's gonna flesh itself out, there are ways to navigate that biblically. There's wisdom to glean from the scripture. I don't think it's always this one way, but sometimes I I use this, I employ this, when I'm like, man, Lord, I have no sense of direction either way. Like, I really am pretty neutral here. I have no sense of what you want. So would you just clarify through this? And I'll move forward, I will, I made a plan, God hasn't clarified, so I'll trust that he will clarify as I move forward and do something. And sometimes the confirmation comes prior to the decision to move, right? And you go, Lord, I just wanna know if you're with me, and then clarity comes. Sometimes that clarity comes after the fact. Um, But you have to be willing to move forward and let God move within and without of your plans. But if you restrict God to one of your plans and you're like, like the Philippians four, where it's like, God, here's my plans. And you hold so tightly to that, that you're not open to anything else. I wouldn't say you're really acknowledging him in all your ways. The way Proverbs three communicates that idea. You're just really looking for God to co-sign what you've already decided to do. And that's not biblical faith. Uh, Biblical faith is even if you don't, I just wanna know either way. I just wanna know. And sometimes waiting is this posture of I'm gonna sit and pray and fast and get counsel because I don't feel confident making any decision forward yet. And sometimes it's, you know, I get a sense that I'm gonna move forward. So Lord, I'm just making sure you're with me. And as I do, shut the door, leave it open. Shut the door, leave it open. Either way, I'm good. So know that men, humanity, what people can do, that's not your ultimate trust. It can't be, man. It can't. You're relying on people who rely on God for breath as ultimate. And and they're not ultimate. He is. So wait for God instead of people. Wait for God as you make plans. Some of you think waiting, f- you're afraid to make plans. And I know this. I, I've been there, man. It's crippling. It is crippling. It's the uh, paralysis of self, of over analysis, right? You just can't get over not knowing what you don't know, and you sit there until you know a certain amount, and God's going, I want you to move forward, and I want you to make, move forward in what you believe, and let me clarify along the way. And some of you are terrified to make plans because you're afraid of messing up. In some sense, there is a healthy reverence involved, where it's like, I don't want to go against your will, but when it becomes this fear that you don't do anything, that becomes an issue. It becomes an issue where you can't do anything until God God, you know, audibly speaks from the clouds. Yes, you can go to Panera. Just make plans and trust that God will guide you, man. You don't have to overanalyze everything. And I know some of you are like me in that. Some of you are like me, you're like, I need to know this amount. And you hold God hostage to a certain amount of disclosure that he never said he'd give you. He never said he'd reveal that much details for you to move forward. So, you know, I'll move on from that point. But here's the third thing. My encouragement to you is know this as you wait on him. Your work, your plans, they really do amount to nothing without God, and not even in a worldly sense. You can have worldly success. You can have worldly riches. You can have worldly power and influence and, and all the stuff that at really at a fleshly level we long for, power. You can have that without God. And when you die, it amounts to nothing. So all of your work, all of your labor, all of your planning without his favor on it, it doesn't amount to anything eternally. Now, sure, God will incorporate that into the grand scheme of what he wants to do throughout the world and all across time. Come in, little girl. My little girl's here. I gotta say hi to her real quick. Layla, do you wanna come in? Hi, baby. Still licking honey from like an hour ago. That's that's incredible. So don't trust in your plans trust in God. So when I say make plans, some of you think you now have the freedom to go and make your plans like your place of refuge. Like I trust in my plan. Don't, don't, don't trust in your plans, man. Jonathan didn't trust in his plans. He trusted in God to work within and without his plans. Okay. Layla's like literally licking honey from 945 over an hour ago. So when you trust in your plans, you, you inevitably start to, fall into the the tactic of the enemy which want he wants you to make your plans rise above God to where now you made a plan and that's more of a trust than God is for you. And I'm telling you that's that's a subtle really subtle technique that the enemy uses where God lo- allows you to make a plan and then he goes now trust in that. No, don't I didn't say trust in your plans. I said make plans and trust in him the whole time. That's usually a good indication of of whether or not the plans you're making are likely of him or not, is almost the degree to which you trust him along the way instead of your plans and your scheming and your strategizing and your foresight. Psalm 27 one says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, they labor in vain. Okay, so understand that you can work tirelessly to build an empire, And it might come toppling down within your lifetime. It might come toppling down after you're gone. It might never even get built up. But the point is, it's it's vain labor without the Lord building it. It's the Tower of Babel, man. It's men building something God's not in, something that's actually opposed to the will and the plan of God. And it comes toppling down and God brings that to nothing because men can scheme all they want, but God determines whether they're successful. Hear me, hear me. In all of your job applying, in all of your house applications, in all of your, I'm gonna flip this property, know this, that God brings success. Not your efforts, not your experience, not your ability, not your education, not the people involved, but God brings success. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so you can have watchmen all around, you can have the, the you know, every security measure you can possibly take. But if God's not in it, someone's going to get in. If God's not in that, that defense mechanism you've employed will amount to nothing because God has to be in it. So the Lord is the one who makes our plans amount to something. Same idea in John 15, except it's not as like um, uh, national and congregational. This is more individual. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, right? As the branch can not bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So understand that fruitfulness is actually impossible apart from Jesus being the source of your life. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, well, he it is that bears much fruit. So on one hand, fruit's impossible without him. On the other hand, fruit to some degree Okay, we've already talked about this throughout the Lordship whole free grace conversation, but with him, fruit is guaranteed. So apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a sobering morning thought right there. Sip some coffee, meditate on that. Apart from him, apart from his favor, apart from him approving of what you're doing and bringing the growth and success, you can do what? Categorically nothing, absolutely nothing. And then the unbelievers will chime in and go, I don't know. I don't believe in God look at all that I've done. Come back to me when you've died and we'll talk. See if you still believe that when you meet your maker and you realize it's all vanity because you didn't know him. Isaiah 17 says you have forgotten the God of your salvation you've not remembered the rock of your refuge. So remember, acknowledging God in all our ways is what it means to wait on him, okay? And it doesn't mean I wait to make any plans or I wait to make move forward in any plans. Sometimes that is the case, but not always. Sometimes it's, I'm waiting on you and I'm moving forward in what I believe for and I'm making plans and I trust you, I acknowledge you. Israel's forgotten their God and therefore, Though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, even though you make them grow on the day you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you plant, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Wow. It's pretty straightforward, man. He ain't messing around. And some of you, I hate to say it, like, you haven't consulted God in so long and you think you're doing a lot when it's not as much as you could be doing. I won't say it's entirely nothing because God could still be working within and without that. And maybe there's been moments where you've been like, God, you in this? But a lot of what you've been doing, it's hay, it's stubble, it's going to be blown away and it's not amounting to anything of value eternally. Haggai chapter one, this is... Think, just listen to this. It says... Um, did I not paste it? Haggai chapter one, verse six through nine, Uh, it says you have sown much. You've harvested little, how's it possible? You could work so hard to make the, you know, necessary investment. And then you get back so little you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood, build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The people of, that have come to Jerusalem have neglected what matters most, to build the house of the Lord. And they've become distracted and busied with their own lives, their own houses, their own income, right, their own fields. It's to the neglect of what you might say is God's kingdom is ultimate. So this is what I mean when I say when you wait on God, it is always with his kingdom as ultimate priority, not just over what you're doing, but in what you're doing. Okay. Those are actually two distinct things. His kingdom is ultimate. It is greater than what I'm doing, but even within what I'm doing, his kingdom is first. And there's a scripture that comes to mind. Um, Deuteronomy 20, 29. Okay. So Haggai chapter one, he goes, y'all can clothe yourselves, you can plant seed, you can drink, you can eat, it's not gonna fill you. How is it that you can work tirelessly to be unsatisfied? Because as you're gonna see in a minute, it's God who brings the growth, it's God who makes something satisfying. Without him, it's not. All the food, all the drink in the world, all the money, all the influence, it's not satisfying without him, because he's the one who satisfies, so if you don't have him, you're, you're screwed. Deuteronomy 29 verse five, here's the contrasting idea. Look at what God says. Look, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes, they've not worn out on you. Wow, wow. How many of you have clothes from 40 years ago? Your sandals have not worn on your, off your feet. You've not eaten bread and not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. I think about how what the Israelites had God made it enough, didn't he? God didn't allow their clothes, their sandals to wear and tear to the point that they're walking around barefoot. He actually kept them intact. Whatever that looks like. It says he sustained them. Your sandals haven't worn off your feet. He's taken, he's made what they had enough. It's the bread and the loaves, man. It's the bread and the loaves. And when you forget that what you have, he makes enough, you inevitably try and go after something that you think will satisfy you, but it doesn't have his favor on it because you neglected what he graced for you. I don't want something that is a lot that isn't graced by God. I'd rather have just, it's like Proverbs. Don't give me more than I need, right? So I don't boast. Don't give me less so I don't steal. Just give me enough so I can just remember that you are the one who sustains. You're enough for me. Um, and some of you need to know that what you have, he makes enough. I know that you can always have more. I get that. I get that. You can always have more fill in the blank, not just on a physical level, on a mental level, on a spiritual level. I can always be more like Jesus. I get that. And that's why after this series, we really need to nail down contentment and what it means to be satisfied. But Matthew 6, 31 through 33 is a good example of what it means to like be satisfied because he makes it enough. And I know you're looking at what you have and you're going, doesn't feel like enough. I think you should look at him a little more and realize he's enough. It's not about what you have as much as it is about who you know. Even if I have nothing, but I know him, and I know I'm saying this now, because like, oh yeah, you have a house. You have food in your pantry. Tell that to the person who's starving. I get that. The point still stands that with him, um, life is enough. He's enough in that. Matthew 6 31, it says, look, don't be anxious about saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Don't spend your life asking all these questions, pursuing all the physical needs that ultimately God says so care for. The Gentiles, the unbelieving pagans that don't have the God of Israel backing their lives, they seek after these things, don't they? They see these things as ultimate, don't they? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows that you need them all. Because of that, You can seek first the kingdom of God. You can seek first his righteousness. And all these things that the unbeliever worries himself over, all these things that the unbeliever stresses about and can't even enjoy because he's afraid he'll lose what he has or he's afraid he won't get as much as what he wants, those things that God knows you need, he promises to add to you. It's the complete reversal of someone who is uh, denying God and walking in disobedience, has nothing to do with God in their life, and they pursue all these things only for it to be vanity. Whereas God goes, if you just look to me and seek my kingdom as ultimate, and you let me guide your plans, everything you have in life that you need for, to live a godly life of righteousness, I'll give that to you. It's like, I can, I'll give you what will actually be enough Instead of you pursuing what ultimately will leave you more burdened than blessed at all. So your works, uh, this is like such a hard point, man, to nail down because it can seem like I'm coming off hard, but I've lived moments and you know seasons of life where I forget that all of my tireless labor and striving and working and planning and strategizing and investing without his favor on it it amounts to nothing. It's a sobering thought. It is incredibly humbling when you wake up in the morning and go, you make me alive, you sustain me. Everything I do today without your favor on it ultimately amounts to nothing. So I dare not try and do anything without your your grace and favor on it, which the over analytical mind will look at this and go, well, I can't do anything. There's a way to solve that. And I think it's very simply Proverbs 3. As much as you can throughout your day, man, just acknowledge the presence of God. That's a good starting point. That's a good starting point for those of you that are like, so I how do I know what I'm doing is of God? Acknowledge that He's present. That's a good starting point. And then from there you can start to bring in the God, now that I know you're here, I just want to pray that you'd be in this. Like, I I know it's two o'clock and I've spent the last six hours not even thinking about you, but I'm bringing you in now because I realize that I need you throughout my day to do things that have eternal value. Like, I need you. And sometimes God is so faithful even to work through our efforts because we're just thinking, what does scripture say? And I'm not really acknowledging God in my ways by going, Lord, do you want this? I don't think it's this, every decision I make where I eat, should I go hang out with my son? I don't think I need to spend hours in prayer for each of those things. I think it's just bring God with you in what you're doing. It's, it's that simple. Be aware of his presence in what you're doing. Be aware of what his word says about what you're doing. It's not this linear thing where I nail down this bullet list and go through it to go, okay, I can move forward. It's very simply, God, as I'm interacting with my kids, like I, I just want to make sure that I'm demonstrating patience and kindness. Like God, as I'm out, you know, uh, just going to the bank, depositing a few checks. I want to know that I'm open to any movement of your spirit to whoever you want me to interact with. I'm just open. I'm just aware that you're here. That's why first Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. It's to your benefit. It's not some burdensome law. It's to your benefit that you involve God in everything you're doing and you're as mentally and spiritually aware of him as you can be. It's to your benefit. And if you find yourself burdened and overanalyzing everything and like you're discouraged and you're, I don't measure up. Yeah, I hate to say it. Like you need to just get out of that funk and just enjoy the presence of God. This is the typical, like, I don't know if I'm going to hell or going to heaven. The, the, the point of, of our faith is just to enjoy the presence of God. And ultimately, God is the one who brings you through that. I can't coach you into that. I can't teach you into that. I can't bring you into a classroom and bring you through a seminar where it's like by the end of this, you will now enjoy the Lord. That's a work the Lord does in you personally as you just seek him daily. So that's my encouragement is to seek him personally. I can't teach you what only God can reveal through personal quiet time and the spiritual understanding that comes attached to that. I I can teach that But the understanding that come attached to that, that gets deep down into the heart, is the whole thing that God brings the growth, man. So as you wait on God, make plans, that's fine. That's totally fine. Just don't trust in your plans. Then you forget that it's God who brings the growth and any success I have. This is what keeps me humble, man. People talk about how your platform's blown up and everyone's this and that. And I just go, honestly, like I've just worked really, and I, I mean this, like I work hard to maintain the same heart I've had from the very beginning. Growth, influence, subscribers, views, that doesn't change the degree to which I'm satisfied in Christ. You take it all, I'm, he's still enough. You bring more, he's still enough. It, it, I don't put hope and stock into what he's doing in my life. That's the problem is we trust more in what he's doing in us and through us and around us, more than just trusting in him as a person. The things God wants to do in your life is great. The fruit is great. The works are fantastic. Are they worth any sense of trust and confidence that should be rightly pointed on God? No, no. Otherwise, you get into some weird headspaces, man, and you start thinking you're something because of what you see happening instead of simply because of who you know, who he's made you to be. So know this, that God works, God's works through us are far better than our own without him. I know I didn't phrase that right, that kind of came into this a little late. I wish I planned this a little more, but God's works through you are better than what you could do without him, period. You're the vessel. You are the honorable vessel he uses to change their life, to speak encouragement into them, to bring comfort to their situation. You're the honorable vessel that gets to be used by the living God. That's great. But just as much as I should not put trust and hope in the works I see God doing in my life, I should also not put any hope and trust in me that God rightly deserves. Meaning I am not the reason good things happen. I'm the vessel he uses. There's a difference. There is a difference. Because he could, just like Jesus says, or John, you understand that God can make sons of Abraham out of these rocks, right? So so you're like ethnic pride, and you're boasting and descending from Abraham physically. That's not a good reason to be confident. Jesus will go on and kind of build on that. Psalm chapter 139, verse 14. This is what the psalmist says. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know these scriptures. You go to these when you're depressed and insecure. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Hmm. What is the work he's referring to? Well, he just said, I am fearfully, wonderfully made. So is the psalmist saying that he's a wonderful work of God? What a prideful, arrogant. No, not prideful, arrogant. To acknowledge the beauty of what God has made, even if it's in you, through you, and you are that creation, that's not prideful. To say, look at what you've done. Uh, I, some of you, this might mess with your theology, like we live, some of us live with such a false humility where it's like, I can't acknowledge any good things I do or have or God accomplishes through me because I'm afraid. If you give him the credit, you can acknowledge all the good he's done. You can acknowledge your gifts. And stay humble you can acknowledge the ways in which you're more successful than other people because god has graced you like that not to their detriment in a way where you look down on them but where god is glorified and you're going lord you didn't have to bring success but you did you didn't have to give me wisdom but you did to deny your gifts is to rob god of glory to go oh no no brother it was all god no it was all god but he used you you were a part of that he made you to do that so you're not taking credit you're acknowledging that He chose to use me. And he goes, my soul knows it very well. What does he know? That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Does that sound cocky? God made me. No, he's going, Lord, you are the creator of me. It's not impressive because I'm the object. Hey, I mean, you had the grace of, you had the honor of making someone like me, God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have the honor of being made by you. That's different. That puts all the credit on the creator, doesn't it? Isaiah chapter 17, same idea. This is, I came across this and I thought this kind of, people have been uh, commenting lately on my videos just about how, you know, the the Israelites or the Gentiles are just the dispersed Jewish people in the nations, right? Those aren't uh, like the pagan nations. And I go, okay, what does Isaiah 17, seven through eight say? Or Numbers 15. It says, In that day, man will look to his maker. Who made man? And God. His eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not look on what his own fingers have made. No, no. Either the asherim or the altars of incense. And this is some of you, you're like, Well, I don't have altars of incense. Yeah, but you trust a lot in what your own hands can do at work. And you find a sense of pride in what you can accomplish as if you're the ultimate source of that when it's actually God. So there's a difference between acknowledging what my fingers can do by the grace of God and then taking credit and finding pride in that. That's different. It's different. I'm not going to find a sense of trust and, I don't know, identity in what my own hands can make. Because at the end of the day, God makes those things happen at all by giving me breath. He's The one who gives me my identity. But he goes on, um, maybe this is in the chapter I was thinking about. Isaiah 19. Okay. Isaiah 19. It says, In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria. Okay. This is not Jewish people dispersed in Egypt or Jewish people dispersed in Assyria. These are the nations as a whole. Okay. So a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed. He will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people my people and Assyria, the work of my hands and Israel, my inheritance. Oh, so there we have the nation, God chose the Jewish people and Egypt and Assyria as whole nations that God says are the work of his hands. And you go, I don't know what that means. Ephesians two clarifies exactly what that means. And this is, it says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. Everyone knows that. And that's yet some of us don't live like it, right? And this is not your own doing, right? It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You didn't achieve or work or craft your own salvation, right? God gave it to you fully formed as a gift. So no one can boast, right? So if I can't boast about the even entering into the kingdom, why would I think I could boast about anything I do in the kingdom? For we are his workmanship. ah, oh, created in Christ Jesus. The we here is the church, the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, one new humanity. We are his formed, pottered vessel created in Christ Jesus. He's the medium through which we come out on the other side as the church for good works. So we're created in Christ as the church for the good works he wants to do through us, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the emphasis as you wait on the Lord, as you make plans, as you do things is always God, what you are doing in my life, what you have made me to be, what you accomplish is so much better than what I ever could have done or what I ever do on my own. So we are the works of God, as the church. That's why Egypt and Assyria, essentially those who are pagan unbelievers, can come into the family of God and be a new creation. So know this, that all that you wait on God to do and all that you see Him do through you, that's great. That's great that you see works and fruit and results and success and progress and transformation and freedom from addiction. That's great. But those things never supersede or become more valuable than what he's done for us in Christ, which is that I'm a new creation. I'm forgiven. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm a child of God. I'm blameless. All my sins wiped away. That truth, that truth, that reality is always, I tell people this, um, um, don't trust in what you can do for God. Trust more in what he's done for you. Or another way to say it is don't be more proud of what you do for God than what he's done for you. My, my point of boasting, which Paul will say, I boast in Christ alone, he's my confidence. That's, that's what it means. That even as I see God work, even as I th- see things happen, I see results and I, whoa, that prayer got answered. or I just was a part of bringing revival. Even as I see that, I go, Lord, what you have done for me in Christ is still far better than anything that I might see done in my life. Not that you have to even compare the two, but so that you don't find yourself growing prideful and look at what I'm doing, look at what God's done through me, I was the vessel. You can acknowledge what God does while resting in ultimate in what Christ has done for you. That's always my point of boasting. So if, if I stand before God, and here's the hypothetical scenario no one ever thinks about, but when I stand before God, and everyone's always like, what will you say uh, when the Lord says, why should I let you into my kingdom? If that even happens. Some would be like Matthew 7 people and go, look at the works that were done that I did. Look at these things. They're proud of the work of their hands. They're offering God the product of their own efforts. They're going, look what I did. And God's just looking for what he's already done for you, just for you to sit in it and trust in it. He's not looking for anything that you can do in place of what his son has done. He's looking for you not even to add to what his son has done. He's looking for you to enjoy as ultimate what he's done for you and to then go and work in response to that out of joy, out of love. So we work for God from a place of, or we work, we do good works for God out of a place of security and love, not to gain those things. And and this is... This is the constant battle. The flesh is so deceptive on a number of levels, but one of the greatest temptations for me is to put more emphasis on what's happening in and through my life more than I put on what Christ has already done for me. Even if even if hypothetically God chose to do nothing else through my life, like hypothetically nothing else, uh, maybe I'm just, uh, I don't know, I get in a car wreck and I'm in a coma the rest of my life for like 40 years and then I die. If, if that's like the bulk of my life, um, I have just as much reason to boast as the believer who did like 60 years of ministry and brought, was a part of bringing revival to the nations. We have equal amount, equal reason to boast because it's in what Christ has done for me. So as you wait on the Lord, I know you're waiting for things to happen. I know you want God to move. I know you're believing that you can move things forward if you and and should you. But pause and just make sure that in your waiting, your emphasis and your focus is mostly on what he's done for you. That's what breeds thankfulness. That's what breeds thankfulness. It's because when when you're waiting, you know, um, the enemy wants you to focus on all the things God isn't doing on all the things that might not even happen, and all the, th- and all the un- an- unanswered prayer requests, instead of all the answered ones, instead of all the things he has done, instead of the gospel that Christ accomplished, which he is the gospel. And know this, okay? Apart from the first four points, number one, wait for God instead of men. Wait for God as you make plans, right? Uh, don't trust in your plans. God's works are better than your own without him. Right? The last one is know that God brings the growth, but he does use your efforts. He does use your efforts. Romans fifteen, twenty-two through twenty-four. This is Paul at the end of his letter to the Romans going, look, boys and girls, I've been wanting to come. I just just can't, but hopefully I can now. In verse 22, he says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I've longed for many years, let's just highlight that, I've longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you in passing, okay? there's the wishful thinking on the part of Paul, right? As I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. He talks about what why they need. When therefore I've completed this and I've delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Okay, so here's, thank you for the gift pack attack. Here's, like what we saw in jonathan the here's a plan here's what i want to happen okay here's what i want to happen here's what i know god can do but in between i'm not sure he will okay it's the i want it's the he can but i'm not sure if he will bridge that gap same with paul i know that when i come to you i'll come in the fullness of the blessing of christ okay um and i think it's verse where is it? By God's will. Hold on, I'm looking for it. I'm being the Gentiles, therefore I plead in this. Know that I'll appeal to you. That made prayer. So like, ah, by God's will here, verse 32. Okay, so let me back it up. Paul goes, Look, I've been waiting a lot of years to come to you guys. Hasn't worked out, but I hope to see you in passing because I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, bring, bring relief for the saints. And then I plan on going to Spain and stopping uh, for a little rest trip at you guys, okay? Then you go down verse 28. And he goes, I will leave for Spain by way of you after I've delivered. So there's the I will, I plan to, and there's the I hope to. Do you see it? And then you go down in verse 32 and he goes, by God's will, I may come to you do you see the planning, but the surrender to God's will? It's that I made a plan. I hope it happens. I will do this. Hopefully it works out this way. By God's will, I'm going to come to you. But notice how he's been waiting for years, for years. Some some of you guys have been waiting for years for certain things. And I'm just going to encourage you by saying, well, Paul waited for years to go to Rome. And, uh, he didn't exactly go the way he thought he would. He kind of went to Rome as a prisoner, not a freedman, man. And he's shipwrecked along the way. So I don't think Paul was like, you know what? As he's writing this, I anticipate that when I get to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to be wrongfully accused, thrown on a ship, transferred. Then that ship will be shipwrecked. And he didn't anticipate that stuff. And he had to wait super long. To even get what he wanted in the way he didn't imagine it to happen that that perfectly captures the story of our our life as we wait on god is we have a general sense of what we're waiting for i'm waiting for fill in the blank and then we fill in all the details of how when what it'll look like who will be with me how old i'll be all these different details we fill in instead of trusting god knows them we make up all the details Then when we get it not only did it take super long but it looked nothing like what we imagined even though we have it i have a house now i just didn't think i'd have to go through a foreclosure or i have a a spouse now i just didn't think i'd have to deal with you know uh i don't know losing my job you know along the way and being jobless as i enter into marriage i didn't anticipate it would look like this and so sometimes you have the idea of what god wants to do in seed form But the full tree and expression of that, you don't see it. And that's fine. Either way, 1 Corinthians 3, I want you to see this. Paul's talking about, guys, stop picking teachers. I'm with Apollos. Well, I'm with Paul. Well, I'm with Peter. He's the rock. He goes, look, I planted, when it comes to like sharing the gospel, Apollos watered. God ultimately gave the growth. You see that? So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. Same idea. So, how did God bring the growth? Well, through Paul and Apollos. Paul's planting and Apollos' is watering. Without God, that would have amounted to nothing. But God graces those efforts and blesses them to bring growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers and you're God's field, God's building. So so know this. God is the one who brings success, eternal spiritual success and growth. He makes progress happen. He makes situations amount to what they do. He brings the results. But he does intend to use your efforts. So this is not us sitting back going, well, I'm just waiting for what only God can do and I won't do nothing in the process. This is make plans, be faithful, do what he's told you to, be the vessel through which he works and be a part of what you're believing for, not trusting in your plans or your abilities. Philippians chapter two, kind of the same idea. It seems like a contradiction at first, but it's not. I promise. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my my absence. He goes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then it makes it sound like you have to sustain your own salvation and maintain your own spiritual uh, standing with God. Well, now that Christ gave it to you, don't lose it. Don't walk away from it. Keep it going. Fan the flame. People twist these verses to make it say things it doesn't. But... It says, work out your own salvation, which, by the way, he'll say for, go on reading, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. See, do you see it? When it comes to what you're believing for God to do in your life, uh, what you're asking, what you're waiting for, what what God does in your life, even while you're waiting, know this, you are called to work out your own salvation. Work with what you have, put it to work, utilize what you have access to, but know this, the desire to do that, the will to work it out and the ability to work it out comes from God because he works in you. So you're not working tirelessly without God. You're actually partnering with him the way Paul and Apollos partnered with God in what he's doing in the world. This is not us. Working without him and saying God bless our efforts. Come on. This is us going like Jesus. He goes I, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying I'm partnering with the father. I, I'm not telling God co-sign what I'm doing so you can get famous Lord Make this happen so you can get glory. I'm going Lord. Is this what you want? Because I want to move forward and I'm gonna do it and I'm trusting that you're giving me the will and the desire and the ability to work it out and you'll guide me along the way I know you'll make it clear. You'll close the door. You'll keep it open. All these different things. So God works in us. And it's expressed through us working at our own salvation. But ultimately, who gets all the credit? Who gets all the glory for what you've been waiting for? And when it finally happens and when you're moving along the way and you see evidence of progress, who gets all credit for the growth and the results and all the things you're believing for? Who gets the credit? It's him. That's why you're stuck against the wall the way you are right now. It's so that you're cornered in such a way where when something happens, there's no way you'd claim all the credit at all. You won't claim any of it. Because you're going, I was up against the wall. I was in such a tight position for so long, and then suddenly God broke through. There's no way I can claim credit for that. There's no way I can say it's always been like this. God came through. And maybe I had a role in, in doing something along the way, but he makes my efforts amount to anything. And some of y'all are working tirelessly, wondering where God is, because you're doing tons of things he never told you to do. You're starting all these different things God, you never actually like sought God for clarity on. You're getting into relationships you never actually brought before God. You're finding yourself on Discord servers God never actually called you to. Some of you aren't called to our Discord server. I get that. Some of you are. Some of you are ignoring the call. Some of you are making up the call, and you're deciding, you know, I'm going to join, and God's saying, actually, I don't have that for you. Some of you are finding yourselves getting engaged to people that God never actually clarified. This is someone who I want you to be in relationship with, to advance my kingdom with. You decide, ah, you know what? They talked about church once. They're the one for me. And some of you are like, I got business opportunities to finally climb my way out of debt. Finally have the opportunity to get my feet on the ground and be financially stable. Finally, the answer to my prayer. And you move forward without even asking God if that's what he wants. And when you get it, you go, wow, this is financial stability, but it's not blessed. Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Your good works. And they give glory to your Father in heaven. You know, you know a good sign that what you're doing is of God? People don't turn to you and go, wow, you're a wonderful teacher. What a fantastic vessel you are. Look at how gifted you are. They go, I know for a fact you ain't doing this. All glory goes to Him. Your works and efforts that amount to something will always point people to the Father. And maybe the unbeliever as frustrating as it may be, we will go, I won't admit there's a God, I'm, I refuse to, but you know what I mean. It's the people in your life who look at what's happening in and through and around you and they go, yeah, like he, he played a part in that, but there's no way what resulted from that is just up to that guy. God made that happen. How do you know you're doing things that God has called you to? Well, it puts you in a position where people aren't looking to you as like the credit. They're not going, look at how great you are. It's it's this impossible scenario where people are going, only God could bring that transformation. Only God could bring that kind of wisdom. Only God could bring that kind of restoration to a marriage. Only God could bring that kind of sudden financial stability. Only God could bring that answered prayer. No, there's no way that person doing these good things, being as patient as they are. as they are. When I knew them back in high school, they were jerks. There's no way they're doing that. There's a God behind them. As you wait on the Lord, make sure that you're partnering with God and not the other way around. It's not God partnering with us in what we're doing. It's us partnering with God in what He's doing. There's a difference between doing your best right, and then trusting in your best. You can do your best and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And then some people do their best and they go, yes, this is why I will see success because I went to this YouTube channel guru, I took their program and now the system that worked for them is gonna work for me and now I have the wisdom or I worked hard, now I have the education or I've been working out and now I have the strength to make it happen, right? Or I've been educating myself and now I have the the financial consultant's advice that I need to really get on my feet financially. Those aren't reasons why things happen. You could have all that and it amounts to nothing. It's God who makes things happen. So don't trust in your best efforts as the reason for your success or as the confidence for for why you'll see results. You and your best efforts without God won't amount to anything. The fish and the loaves. Remember the five uh, loaves of bread and the two fish that the little kid brings? He didn't go, hey these five loaves and two fish, they're totally gonna feed everyone because they're capable of doing that on their own. He just brought it to Jesus. And even the disciples are like, what's that for so many? And Jesus goes, oh, in my hand, in my hand, this little boy's best, this little boy's best is gonna feed all these people. Without him, if the little boy just started walking around trying to feed the people his bread and his fish, he would have gotten to maybe two families. And that's a picture of some of you tirelessly working without consulting God, praying, fasting, making sure he's in it. You just assume because it's a Christian thing, he's in it. You just assume because it's a spiritual organization that you need to be a part of it, and he's called you there. You just assume that because Jesus' name is attached to it, that that's where you belong. You haven't even consulted him you assume because they go to church they're worth dating and there's someone that God has for you. It's not true. All of our best efforts without the grace of God amount to nothing, but God uses your best and what he produces through your best is disproportionate to your efforts. Let me say that again. What God does through your efforts is disproportionate to your efforts. You understand? That way, there's no way, there's no way that what you brought to the table resulted in what people get to see. They have to go, only God could take five pieces of loaves, five loaves and two fish, and multiply that. They weren't applauding the young man and being like, look at what you did. They're going, look at what Jesus has done. And it was through the hands of that little boy and the disciples. You and I get to be a part of it as we wait on the Lord. But know that as you wait, and whatever you're believing for, and whatever you think you can make happen on your own, it's God who brings growth, success, results. What you're seeing on this YouTube channel, I'll spend days where I'm like, I'm nowhere near what I wanna be. Then I'll spend days where I'm like, I never knew I'd be here, you know? And I just fluctuate. I'm disappointed, discouraged, and then then I'll, I'll fall into pride. And I'm just trying to find a sweet spot where it's like, Lord, if this is what you have for me, this is far beyond what I deserve. This is more than what my own hands could have achieved. I I could still be here after a year and a half online, doing online ministry, and still have like 800 people subscribe to the channel and be um, sharing this sermon with maybe two people in the live streams. That could still be what I'm doing. Uh, This this isn't happening because I'm smart, because I'm educated, because I'm wise. I don't have a degree. I don't have the theological training most pastors do. I don't. And I think that's intentional so that I don't start to boast and then go, well, that's because it's because he allowed it, period, period. And so um, just know that as you guys navigate life and wait on the Lord, he has more for you. And for those of you that don't know, this is Above Reproach Ministry. You can go to AboveReproachMinistry.com for all the different resources and opportunities we have for you